0: this idea of true life. And this is what we've been spending, uh, this, this is what we will spend the summer talking about. So the name of the church here is True Life. And what does that mean? Sometimes you go to churches and they have names and you don't even have an idea what the name means. And so we've been kind of spending the summer talking about what is this idea for our church, a new church. Um, two years ago, we began meeting in my basement and talking about what would it look like to start a new church, and what are some of those ideas that we want to have be really the, the core, the backbone, the foundation of this church, and, and what is true life. So we spent the first four weeks of the summer talking about our relationship with God, and then the, the four weeks we're in right now, with this being the last week, talking about our relationship with one another, and then starting next week, we'll spend four weeks talking about what is God doing in the world, and, and what's our role in that, what's our part to play in that. And so the last four weeks, we've been talking about true community, and what is true community. And tonight, what we're going to do is, normally I've kind of given a, a recap of um, what, what's, what has happened in the previous weeks, but what we're going to do tonight is, the whole time, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and so if you have a Bible, you can open it to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can have the one in front of you, you can keep it, and um, if you're like, well, this is just a cheap paper Bible, well, that's right. But you can keep it, and it's yours. Um, you can also, um, if you don't have the app, you should get uh, the ESV Bible app. It's a great uh, Bible app, and that's um, most of the time what I use. You can search really quickly and all that kind of stuff. So anyways, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, which is the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. And we're going to be talking about, our, as our last week in community... What does it mean to have true community? And we've talked about several of those ideas, but let me recap using uh, Paul's words in the beginning of the chapter to the Ephesian church. So here's what he says. "'I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace,' There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, so here's, I'll use Paul's words to kind of recap what we have talked about, because really Paul is recapping what he has talked about, which is the same thing that we've been talking about. If you don't know what I just said, that's okay. Okay, so the first three chapters... What Paul has been talking about is the idea of our relationship with God. And he talks about it here. There's one body and one spirit. You were called to this one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So here's what Paul is saying. Jesus, and this is what the, if you read the book of Ephesians, this is what the first several chapters are about. What Jesus does is he calls us. He calls us into his family. He adopts us into his family. He saves us by grace. So this is, this is the idea that we are saved not by what we do, but by what Jesus has done. Okay, So the Bible teaches that we are people that need saving. That we are people that our hearts drift from God. That our hearts wander from God. That our hearts... I mean, so here, I mean, here's just reality, okay? Every human being lives for themselves. Every human being, apart from God intervening, lives for themselves. Now, that looks different ways. That can look like you just have a crazy life and you're in a gang and you're selling meth and whatever. It can look crazy and you're just doing your own thing. But it can also look like you're a really upstanding moral citizen that goes to church and and pays your bills on time and is really kind and helps old ladies across the street. But you are living for yourself in the sense that you're cutting God out of your life. And it's about you. So this is what the Bible teaches that we all do. And that's where all of our hearts go. And so we need saving And what God has done is in Jesus, he's come to this earth and said, I'm going to save you from that. I'm going to bring you into my family. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to adopt you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. You're mine. So that's what we talked about really the first four weeks. This is when Paul says, live in a manner, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's what he's talking about. He says that God calls people out of that. God calls people out of self-centeredness into his family. So if you're a Christian, you have heard, and I'm not saying an audible voice, but you have heard God call you, that he has spoken to your heart, he's called you, he's brought you to himself. He said, come here, you're mine, I want you, stop going that way, come to me. If you're not a Christian, I hope even tonight that you hear God calling you saying, come to me. So this is what Paul's talking about. He says, there's this calling that we've been given. And then he says, we've been given a family. So he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So what does that look like, to walk in a manner worthy of God calling us into his family? Well, it looks like with one another, humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, maintaining the unity of the Spirit. So God's Spirit unites us together as a family. And he's saying we have this commonality. There's one body, talking about the church, we're a family. There's one body, one spirit. And then he goes kind of Bob Marley and says, one Lord, one faith. Okay, if you don't know who, if you're like, what are you talking about? You don't know who Bob Marley is? Come on. So, that, so he's saying we've got, God unites us to himself. God unites us to himself. And because of that, we're united to one another. That's what we've talked about the last seven weeks. And this is what Paul is recapping because he talked about it the last three chapters. And now he's saying, here's what this looks like then. In the life of the church. Here's what here's how this starts to play out in community. Because he says you've got this call from God, and God's made you a family. And then here's the question: God's made us a family. What does God want for his children? So if you're a Christian, you are God's child. God's brought you into his family. He's adopted you into his family. He's the Father. He's united us to himself because of Jesus. And then what does he want for his family? If we're part of God's family, what does he actually want for his family? And, and here's, here's what he says. And when you see um, little ellipsis right here, I mean, I'm skipping. So if you're reading the Bible, uh, if you're following along in Ephesians chapter 4, and you see me skip a couple things, then that's what that is, okay? So I'm not working from a different Bible than, than you're working from. So here's what he says next. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... To equip the saints, and when it's talking about saints, you might, maybe you come from a Catholic background, but saints are just all Christians. All Christians are called saints. It's not special holy people that get their face on uh, stained glass. It's all Christians are called saints, which means they're people that are set apart by God. So, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so the question was what does God want for His children? What's He trying to do with it? He makes us a family. Now, what does He want for His children? What does God want for His children, for His family? Somebody said joy. And that's true. God does want joy. But this is something else that God wants for his children. Although joy is true, okay? Amen to joy. And, and it's connected. But think about kids, okay? If you're a parent and some of you aren't parents, but you know kids and you like kids or maybe you don't like them, but you still know them, you've seen them, you know what they are. They're about this tall or, I mean, they're different sizes, I guess. But what do, you, what do, what do parents want for their kids? They want them to grow, right? And parents want their kids to grow. Now, I know sometimes, especially mothers can be sentimental and, oh, I don't ever want my baby to, you know, I mean, my mom still cries and, oh, my baby. But you parents want their kids to grow, right? And you should want your kids to grow because if kids are doing things when they're adults that they do now, that's weird, Right? Like, we have kids in our house all the time. We don't, my wife and I don't have any kids, but we have kids in our house all the time. And um, a lot of times kids come over, first thing they do, we have this like fake bowl of apples. They come over, they dump the bowl of apples on the ground, and they start kicking them around and playing, and we don't care. We, I mean, they're playing with them, and they're not glass or anything. They're just, I don't know what they're made of, chemicals. And they're just kicking them around and <laughs> playing with them. Um, play at your own risk. And, you know, jumping on the couch. And, and if you came over to my house and did that, that I, you, you wouldn't be invited back, right? If you came over, hey, nice to see you, and you came dumped over my apples and started jumping on, I mean, I'd be like, you're weird. And I might invite you back, but I would videotape it and put it on YouTube just so you know. So come over. Um, but that's, kids do things that are weird, right? I mean, they do things that are not, they're weird for adults, they're not weird for them because kids should do those things. They should dump out apples and hop around on couches. They should. So if you stay after, you'll see the kids kind of running and chasing each other in the pews. Okay. If you guys start doing that though, that's weird. Like we're gonna go. What is wrong with you? Why are you? What kind of a wacko church is this? Everybody's playing tag after the service and crawling under the pews. And I mean, we would think it was weird, right? Because and kids are supposed to be kids. But then, they're supposed to grow. And if kids don't grow, there's something wrong, right? If kids don't grow and mature, then something is wrong, right? And so, what does God want for his family? He wants us to grow. It says that, uh, he, he uses kind of different language, building up the body of Christ. And that's what the church is. The, the Bible uses this language that we are the body of Christ. So if you think of Christ as a, a person that we're, we all represent kind of different members of a body and that he wants us as a body to grow up. To grow up, and it says, into the knowledge of the Son of God, that's Jesus, that, that we should grow more and more knowing him, loving him, to mature manhood. It's saying like a, a person, a human being, is supposed to grow up into mature manhood, right? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it uses all this language about growing up, and this is talking about collectively and individually. So individually, as Christian, we should want to grow up, to not be little babies. It's okay to be a baby, right? I mean, don't go back there and make fun of the kids and go, you babies? Yeah, of course they're babies. But you don't want to stay a baby, so it's okay to be a baby. If you just became a Christian or you've been a Christian for three years or four years, you're a four-year-old. That's great. That's not bad. It takes time to grow. It takes time. And it's okay. But what God wants for us, like any good father, is for us to grow, to mature, right? This is what good parents want for their kids. They want them to grow up. Because why? Because you want them to experience more fully what it means to be human, right? I mean, a, a baby can kind of experience what it is to be a human. They can eat and sleep and be cuddled. And that's kind of it. But that's not the full range of human experience. When they're one, they get to experience a little bit more. When they're two, they get to experience a little bit more. When they're ten, more, right? Like, God wants us to experience fully what it means to be his child, fully what it means to be human, because he's a good, loving father. So this is what God wants for us. He wants us to grow both individually and as a Collective as a church, as a family, into more fully expressing his presence. So sometimes the Bible uses the language of a temple, which is um, where God's, it used to be until Jesus came, where God's presence was. And so sometimes the Bible will use the same language. Even earlier, Paul uses this language in um, chapter 2, and he says that God is building us into a temple, into a place where God's presence is known. And that's part of what he's doing. And so, we experience some of God's presence. We experience some of his presence and we feel some of his presence and love is a way that we show and share God's presence. And Paul says, God's building you up more fully to experience that, more fully to show that, more fully to represent that, both as individuals and as a family. That over time, so 10 years from now, we should be a more full expression of what Jesus is like, of what God's presence is like both as individuals and together as a family. So this is what uh, Paul says that God is building us up into. And it takes time, okay? So even, I mean, again, I want to say, if you're, if you just are starting off your life as a Christian, and you go, man, I want to grow. I want to be like Jesus. I want to grow up, and I'm not there. Of course not. It's okay. You know, it's like, I remember when I was a little kid, and you know, if, you, if you've got probably around the age of four or five, they start talking about, man, I want to be bigger. I want to be a big kid. And you kind of have this, ah, but it's like, it's going to take time. You'll get there, but it takes time. It takes time. And so it's okay. It's okay. It's a maturing process. But know that what does God want for his family, what he wants is for us to more fully experience life with him. So he wants us to grow. Okay? So how does he do that? How does he build us up? How does he grow us up? How does he build us into that temple? Or how do we more fully grow? How do we mature? How does that happen? How how does that actually take place? And here's here's what he says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and I read some of this previously, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, and I'll skip this because I already read it, and then down here just to highlight it again, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So here's what he says. How does it happen? How does God build the church into what it's supposed to be? How does he build you and I into more maturing people that are not just babies anymore, but are more fully like Jesus, more fully knowing Jesus, more fully loving Jesus? How does that happen? How does it take place? And what he says is we need one another. It doesn't happen just by ourselves. It doesn't doesn't happen just one person off in the corner with their Bible or praying. He says you need other people. That's how he does it. He says God gives the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, so that's the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ, which is to build up the saints. So God says, how, how is it going to happen that you will mature? How is it going to happen that you will be more like Jesus? How is it going to happen that you'll love Jesus more? That you'll know him more? That you'll grow in your understanding? How will that happen? He says, we do it to one another. And then down here, it says the whole body, it's joined together with these joints. And think of a body, it's got all these joints and different things holding it together. And when each part's working properly, it makes the body build itself up in love. So to become a more loving place, to become a place that's more fully expressing God's love and His presence. How does it happen? We need one another in order for it to happen. If you say, and every Christian should say this, and if you're not a Christian, that's okay, but if you ever become one, this is what Christians say, man, I want to know Jesus more, and I want to love Jesus more, and I want to be more and more like Jesus in my life. How does that happen? It doesn't happen just by wanting it, or saying it, or trying to do it. It happens with other people in our life, building us towards that end. That's how it happens. We cannot do it by ourselves. You cannot do it by yourself. If you desire to grow, I mean, think about even just back with little kids. A kid cannot grow by themselves. They can't. They can't learn to walk by themselves. They can't learn to go potty by themselves, right? They can't learn to do anything by themselves. They can't even live by themselves, right? They need others to feed them. They need others to, to help them. To grow spiritually, it's the same thing. We cannot do it by ourselves. And it's not, oh, so you need a pastor. Yes, you do need a pastor. God has given pastors to love and serve the church. But that's not it either. It's it's the, the body loving the body. That's what he says. It's the saints, which is the church, working together. So here's what the Bible teaches. God wants us to grow. God's a good father and he wants us to grow. And so what's his strategy to do that? His strategy is you. That we are tools in God's hand to build us into what he's desiring. That we are the ones that actually make that happen. So picture God saying, I want to build you into this lovely house. I want to build you into this lovely house. How does it happen? The way it happens is that everybody's got hammers, everybody's got screwdrivers, and everybody's working together together collectively to more fully represent who Jesus is in our individual lives and as a whole. This is what the church is. So this is, this is what the church is, by the way. So sometimes people go, man, I'm okay. I'm kind of interested in church and I'd like a community of people to be my friends and to hang out with. And, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I want that. You want that. But the church is a community of people saying, we want to grow. We want to grow to be more like Jesus, to love him more, to know him more. That's what we want. And that's what the church is, a place where people are helping you grow into this beautiful picture of what God wants to make you into. That's not a bad thing. So if you're kind of like, oh, I don't want people to open my business, that's a good thing. Like God wants to help you more fully experience life. It's a good thing for a little kid to become 10, and then 15, and then 20. It's a good thing. And that's what God wants. And so he gives us one another to help us towards that end. Here's, here's, how, here's how Hebrews, another book in the Bible, says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's as one day Jesus is going to return. So here's what he's saying here. Man, think about how you can help each other grow. Let's consider how we can stir one another up to love. Everything, if you were here last week, everything we talked about last week, you should go, man, how, do, how can I grow to be a more loving person? But you know what else you should think? How can I help them become a more loving person? Let's consider how we can stir one another up to love. Let's consider how we can stir one another up to maturity. So, you know, one of the, I don't even know if anyone goes to bookstores anymore, but in a bookstore, or just blogs and things along those lines, one of the biggest types of categories could be classified under self-help. So what can I do to improve myself? What can I do to better my life? What do, what do I want my goals to be? My, and what he's saying here is, okay, great, but how about other help? How about you make a bucket list for this person? How do you want to help them before they die? How do you want to help them grow before they die? How, how can you stir, how can, I mean, think about being a part of a community where you're not just about yourself and you don't even just come here to learn about Jesus, but you're a part of a community where other people are saying, I'm radically committed to you becoming the beautiful picture of what God is trying to build you into. So maybe there's some fear around that, but I mean, isn't that, I mean, what if if that was actually what this place was? that we were actually saying, man, I'm not just here for my spiritual growth, but I'm here to also be a part of other people becoming the person that God intends them to become. I want us collectively to become what God wants us as a community to become. That's That's what the Bible says the church is. It's a place, it's a family where God as a father says, I want you to grow, as all good fathers say. And he says, and the way I do that is I Help other people to help you do that. So how does God build us up? He does it by giving us each other. He does it by giving us one another. To to think like this, let's... So let me just ask you this question, okay? Does this describe you? Just think about it. I mean, this is all over the Bible, Okay? that this is a big piece of what the church is, does this describe you? Do you think not just about your growth, but do you think, man, how can I help other people more fully know Jesus, more fully love Jesus? How can I do that? Do you have a plan? Do you think, I mean, consider it. It's actually a word that's like, man, carefully think through. Is that like a passion of yours? So I know some of you are new and just visiting and, or even maybe not Christians, and that's okay, but I just want to speak to those of you right now that this is your church, okay? This is who I want us to be as a church. It's what God is calling us to be. It's a place where it's not just, I'm here to get, I'm here to get, but it's a place where we're going, man, I am radically committed to everybody in this room growing to know and love Jesus. I mean, that's what we're called to do, and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, if you are ever a part of a sports team, everybody is committed to one another. I mean, because it it benefits everybody. And the team is more beautiful and more fully what it's supposed to be as a team when everyone isn't just, well, I'm just about me learning how to dribble the best way and shoot the best way. And No, we go, man, as a team, let's grow, as a team. And it becomes more fully what it's supposed to be than as a team. We become more... Fully who God's calling us to be when we are committed to one another, not just our own selves. So this is what, this is how, this is, God, this is God's, so here's what I said last week, okay, and, and what we talked about. That God loves us and wants us to know his love, but how does he help us know his love? He doesn't just give us, sometimes, but it's not just these direct experiences of love from him. He says, I want you to know my love, and so what I do is I help this person to love you. I help this person to encourage you. I help this person to serve you and meet your needs. I help. The same thing is true with this. God says, I want you to grow. And so what do I do? I I help this person to help you grow. And I help this person to consider how to help you grow. That's how he does it. All right. This is the greatest joy I think any of us can experience, by the way. So as a pastor, this is my life, okay? I mean, this is what I do. But what saddens me about that is I love what I do. I love to be able to help people mature, to know Jesus, to love Jesus. I love doing that. I love it. It's the greatest joy in my life to be able to have people that were four years old in the faith, then go, man, I'm 15 years old in the faith. And I'm not just talking about years, but maturity, to see people go from, kind of knowing about Jesus to man, I love Jesus. I love doing that. That's the greatest joy in my life. But that is not my job description. Kind of is. But you know what my real job description is? Paul said it. It's to help us do that with one another. Because that's not the, the, that's not the role of a pastor, and yet most people think it is well, of course you help other people grow. You're a pastor. No! I'm supposed to actually help you help each other grow. And it'll be the greatest joy of your life when you participate in that. Okay, moving on. How does God build us up? He uses each other. What gets in the way of this? What gets in the way of it? What what stops this from actually happening? And Paul gives us two different things, okay? And there's a lot of things, but here's two things. He says, so that we may no longer be children. So grow up that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles. That just means people that are not Christians, It originally referred to people that are not Jews, but he's using it as just people that are not God's people. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him. So he's describing all this bad stuff, okay? That's my summary. (laughs) And we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your angry and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay, so this is the first thing that gets in the way, that big chunk. And if you've got it open, you can look at it. But here's what it says. It's the way we live our lives, that we are prone to wander. We sang that just a a moment ago that our hearts are prone to wander. So you may become a Christian, and maybe things are great for 15 minutes. And then stuff starts to get hard. And your heart starts to get drawn back towards, as Paul was saying, the old way of life. So we are prone to wander. That is a fact. Becoming a Christian does not mean everything changes. What happens is, over and over and over again in the Bible... The the writers of the Bible to the churches say things like, don't go back to your old way of life. Don't go back to what you once believed and what you once were passionate about and what you once lived your life. Don't do it. You have a new life that God has given you. And so we are prone to wander. But here's the thing. That doesn't just affect us. What gets in the way of us becoming the people that God wants us to become, becoming the expression of his presence to becoming this place that says, here's what God's like. What gets in the way of that? Partially is that we wander away from him and go back to old ways of life. And sometimes we say something like this, well, it's, it's not hurting anybody. It's just my own thing. But it is. Because how you are affects other people. If you start to wander from God, that affects the love that you can give to others. It affects the way that you can build others up If your heart begins to wander away from Jesus, it's not just about you. That affects other people because you are God's strategy to love and serve and help build other people up. I mean, think what would happen if everyone in this room said, well, you know, my heart's wandering from God, but that's just my own business. It doesn't affect anybody else. But if everybody did that, then the means that God has provided for us to grow up have all been trashed, right? So one of the things that gets in the way of us becoming the community, of us becoming the the place that expresses God's love and His presence, is that our hearts just begin to wander back to old things, or old ways of thinking and believing. So Paul said, don't be like little children that are tossed around by the waves of all these different ideas. Here's what he's saying. If you go up to a little kid and push him over, I'm not recommending this, okay? What kind of... So if you go up to a little kid and push them over, they'll fall over, right? Because little kids are tossed. To, if you throw them, I mean, Paul says he uses the language of waves. So if you take a little kid and throw them into the ocean, they're going to be blown wherever the waves take them. And Paul says, you know what happens? Let's not be little kids. Let's not be little kids that every idea, that every doctrine, that every teaching, that everything just takes us over here and then takes us over here and then take... Because if you try to push over an adult... I mean, if you try to push over Andy, okay, he's not going anywhere. You're going somewhere, okay? You're, it's not, nothing's going to happen. That's what he says. Be like that. Let's not be little kids that are tossed to and fro that we have to grow up. But here's what happens. One of the things that gets in the way of us becoming this community is that if you wander, if your heart wanders, if your mind wanders, if your life wanders, if doctrines and teachings and different things toss you around, then you're not able in the community to do your part to help others more fully become who God's calling us to become. So what hap- here's what I'm saying. What happens with you affects everybody. That's just the reality of it. Each of- Because we're a family. So each person affects every person, for good or for bad. But the second thing is this. Here's what Paul says next. He says, it's how we live our life, and it's also how we treat each other. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. So he's talking a lot about speech here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, that's like complaining and negativity and slander, be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So, what gets in the way? Well, it's how we live our life, but it's also how we treat one another, especially with our words that if we're supposed to be growing up into this community that's an expression of God's love, that's a place where we are more fully becoming like Jesus and knowing Jesus and loving Jesus, what gets in the way of that partially is how we live our lives, but it's also how we treat one another. Because here's, here's what God is doing. He's building us up into something. And When you build something, you unite things together, right? You unite two pieces of wood, you unite a nail in a piece of wood, you, you unite a foundation as you lay pieces of wood or, or tile or whatever next to one, I know tile's not a foundation, a floor next to one another, okay? That's, that's what building is. You're uniting things. That's what builds something up, is you unite pieces. But what gets in the way of that is things that divide. What gets in the way of that is things that create division. So if you want to tear this building down, how will you do it? You'll start to divide pieces. You'll take out this brick, you'll take out this brick, you will take out this window. That's how you would tear the building down. And especially what does that is our speech. Corrupting talk. Things that corrupt the building. Things that tear down the building. Bitterness, wrath, anger, complaining and negativity, slander. Those are the things that build it down. It tears it down. I mean, think about this. I mean, Just take your mind out of the church for a minute. Think about your relationships. If you've ever known someone that's a gossiper or a slanderer or a complainer, does that build unity? No, it breaks it down, right? It destroys relationships. It tears them apart. It's not uniting them and building them. It brings them down. And Paul says that one of the biggest things that gets in the way of what God is trying to do in uniting us is that our words Tear it down. Our words tear it down. And you know this. You know this. If you've ever known anybody, you've probably at some point in relationships experienced some of these things. People that are bitter. People that lie. People that say bad things about you. People that speak behind your back. People that talk about you to others instead of talking to you people that are just complaining and criticizing, that all divides, it all destroys. And Paul says, man, God wants us as little children to grow up into a family where we're united with one another. And what will tear it down is this. Think about how common this is. You know, it's really, I mean, think, think about this. It is really common for people to bond around these things. You can think you're building great friendships. What happens when you get together with people? Is it more easy for you to talk about how awesome Jesus is or to start complaining about things? Is it more easy for you to talk about the work of God in your life and in their life or is it easier for you to talk about other people? Did you hear about so and so and did you hear about this and Is it easier for you to talk about what you don't like and what's, or is it easier for you to say, man, look at how awesome God is, look what God's doing, look at, man, we bond around things that actually destroy, and God says this, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, God, wants us as a family to experience joy, as somebody said, wants us to experience joy, and wants us to experience maturity. And his heart hurts when we're tearing that down. It grieves him. When we talk bad about other people, it grieves God. Because it's destroying the unity he's trying to build. And think about it. God's trying to make us a family that's united. The way you talk, does it lead to unity or lead to division? Is the way you talk more marked by this is leading to unity? or to division. This group, this person, it grieves God's heart because he wants us to grow, to be a family that is showing his love. This is what gets in the way. So how do we participate? God wants to build us into a family, into a place that is more fully expressing his presence That's what God is wanting to build us into. The way he does that is he uses us. So how do we actually do that? How do we actually participate in building one another up into this place where God's presence is known and and where we mature, where we're more like Jesus, where we know Jesus, where we love Jesus? How how do we join in on that work? And here's what he says. It's it's words again, okay? Because our words are a tool. Our words are a tool that either... Build things up or break things down, like a hammer. Think about your words like a hammer. What can a hammer do? It can build things, right? But it can also, I mean, you can go to town with a hammer and just start destroying. Words are like that. And so how do we actually participate? It's mainly with our words. And here's, here's several parts that we read in Ephesians. And I'll start at the top. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in Christ. So how do we grow up in Christ? Speaking the truth in love. And then a little bit later, that's not the way you learned Christ. Talking about that old way of life, if you go back to that, that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So what's the truth in love we're supposed to speak? It's Jesus. It's not just truth generically. It's Jesus. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we're members of one another. And then finally, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such. So our talk, as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Okay, so how do we participate in building? He says we speak the truth in love, that we use our words to build one another up, that we use words. So God wants us to mature, to grow, right? How do we do that with one another? We use our words. We speak the truth, which is Jesus. We speak Jesus in love. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple things, okay? There's kind of two different ways that we use our words, and one of those is just words of encouragement or affirmation. And this is really rare, actually. Okay? when's the last, Let me just ask you. When's the last time somebody affirmed and encouraged you. So um, let me say something to the guys and the gals. Ladies, and guys can do this too, but not as often. A lot of times you speak really nice to one another. Guys don't do that. But ladies, a lot of times you speak really nice to one another. But a lot of it is, oh, did you get a new haircut? That looks really nice. Oh, I love that skirt. You look great in that skirt. Oh, you look, you post a picture on Facebook. Oh, you look so pretty. Oh, right? And that's great. Guys, on the other hand, no one comes up to a guy and says, oh, you look so cute today. Okay, I mean, guys don't say that to one another, right? But you know what guys do? It's the opposite. Guys have a culture of tearing one another down. And what happens when the group of guys get together? They start saying, oh, you pansy. Oh, you idiot. Oh, you, I mean, they just tear one another down. It's in jest and in good fun, but you make fun of each other. Now, neither of those is speaking the truth in love, is speaking affirmation, encouragement, words of Jesus. What if we had a culture where we look at one another and we go, man, let me help you see where God's working in your life. Let me help you see the good that God is doing in you. Man, I see that you just made a really hard decision, and I see God working in you to make you bold. That's awesome. This isn't just positive thinking. This isn't just flattery. This is, look, I see God in your life. Man, I see that you are growing. Man, since I've known you, you, God has changed you so much. Sometimes people will tell me uh, things hard in their life, or they'll confess sin to me, okay? And not like a like I'm a Catholic priest or something, they'll, they'll just say, hey, here's some stuff I'm struggling with, here's what's going on. And I try to often go, man, it's a fact that God is working in your life, just the fact that you're willing to share that. Just, just that you would be open and honest is a sign that God is moving and working in your life. That's not to brush over the sin, that but to say, man, I see God at work. So let me, do you do that? That's speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love is that you go, let me help you, because I love you, see where God is working in your life. Let me help you see that. Because I don't, I don't. if you're like me, it can be hard to see that ourselves sometimes, right? It can be hard sometimes to go, I see where God is working, I see what he's doing. But when we have other people that go, wow, look, I see the joy that you have. I see the joy you have. That, that shows me God is, you didn't used to be like that. Paul did this even with the craziest churches he had. Even the craziest churches, even the people that were crazy and the whole rest of the letter is him saying, you guys got to work on some things. He still opened it up always with, man, I see God doing things in your life. I see him at work. Because if you're a Christian, if the Holy Spirit's inside of you, he is working. And so part of how we help one another grow up is to affirm, to encourage, to show where we see God working. Don't you want that? you want to be a part of that? We got to start with giving that. I mean, what if, what, if, what if our conversations as guys, again, what if we didn't have that stupid culture of just tearing one another down? I was listening to this stand-up comedian, and he was, ta- and I'm not trying to say this to be offensive, but the stand-up comedian was talking about how guys say everything is, and this, I don't think this is as much now, but it definitely used to be, everything is gay oh, you like salad? That's so gay. Oh, you like that shirt? That's so gay. And just tear each other down. Now, you shouldn't say that about anything, okay? Because it's just rude. But guys, what if instead we had a culture of helping affirm and encourage and showing each other, I see God at work here. And ladies, same thing. And don't you want that? That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, let's speak the truth to build one another up. Let's build each other up. This is how, again, little kids, how do they grow? How do they grow? Part of it is they don't just grow by you looking at them and saying, man, you're not crawling yet. Man, you're not walking yet. No, by affirming them. You can do it. Stand up. Look at, oh, you took a step. That's awesome. So we do the same thing with one another that we say, man, I see God moving. If you do that, if you've received that, I mean, it's so sad to me sometimes when I do that, that people go, no one's ever said that to me. I go, that's sad. Makes me want to do it more, but it also goes, man, that's not right. Like, that's the church is supposed to be a place where we are affirming and encouraging and helping build one another up. That's not my job. That's our job, okay? That's our job. And it's not just words of encouragement, though it is. It's also words of correction. It's also words of correction. The part of how we speak truth in love is positive truth of here's where God's working. But it's also truth of, man, you're believing some false things. You're living some false ways. Let me help you. Let me help you. See, we need one another. Here's Again, Hebrews, here's, how this, here's why we need others to correct us. Somebody says here, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So how do we prevent that from happening? But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. You can't see. We cannot see our sin as clearly as other people see it. We just can't. You cannot see where you need to grow by yourself. You can't. You just can't. How often are you asking other people, will you speak into my life? Will you help me to grow? What's wrong with me? Can you help me see? Where do I need to... I mean, so many times we live our lives trying to circumvent that as much as possible. Surround yourself with people that are like-minded, that will just give you only anything you say. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds good. Oh, of course. Oh, yep. Instead of going, man, help me. What do you see? Help me. I know that sin is deceitful, that it blinds me. Can you help me? Is that your starting posture? Is your starting posture knowing that sin deceives you? And so you need other people to help you. Now listen, Paul says, speak the truth in love, which means that this is an act of love. It is an act of love to help somebody see where they're wrong, right? I mean, if there's a car about to hit someone, it's an act of love to say, don't stand in the street, move! But a lot of times we think when that comes to our words with one another, that, oh, that's judgmental, oh, get out of my life, it's not your business. It's it's an act of love. If somebody has things in their life that are drawing them away from God, that has things in their life that are destroying the fullness and maturity, the joy that God wants for them, it's an act of love to say, I see something here. We need that. And it's an act of love. But here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we do that in a way that's tearing people down. Because here's, what is the whole point? The whole point of our words is to build one another up. Sometimes, if you've ever heard this verse, speaking the truth in love, you can take that to mean, yeah, being a jerk, that sounds good. Oh, in love. I'm speaking the truth in love. That's not what he's saying, though. See, you have to ask yourself, if, and maybe you are a person that loves to correct other people. Why? Because you love them? Because you see the picture of beauty that God is calling them to, and you want that so badly for them? or because you just see that they're wrong. See, what it would be like is when you think about the, the building metaphor again, if you walk up to somebody and you see that they're building a house and you see they're building it and it's not finished yet. There's a wall missing. And do you go in and go, hey, you got a wall missing here and that plank is in the wrong spot and that's in the wrong spot. And they go, I know, I'm, it's not finished. But sometimes that's our heart towards each other. We start just pointing out the wrong. But why? Are you pointing out what's wrong because you love them or just to show them that they're wrong? And they go, I know I'm wrong. My house isn't, God hasn't finished my house yet. Are you you using words to tear down or go, man, you know what? I want to build you up because I love you. Is it about you or about them? Is it about you when you correct other people? When you correct other people, is it because, man, I love this person and I want to help them be built into something beautiful? Or is it because you go, I don't like that, it's affecting me? Or just, you're wrong and wrong is bad and so I just want to point out everything that's wrong. That's not what he says. Speaking the truth in love is we speak Jesus to other people so they build up into something beautiful. Beautiful. And it's also not just advice. Speaking the truth doesn't mean speaking advice to one another. It means speaking Jesus to one another. Which means we go, where where is it that I'm not living in a way that is consistent with Jesus is my Savior and he's defined me? Where am I living inconsistent with the good news of Jesus? What lies am I believing about God? What lies am I living my life out of? I don't think God's good. I don't think God's gracious. I don't think God is glorious. What lies am I living my life in? And I need someone else to come and say, no, here's the truth. The truth is Jesus. The truth is he loves you. He died for you. The truth is you're defined by him. The truth is he's in control of everything and he's the king. The truth is, see, we need the truth of Jesus in our lives. Not just, hey, let me give you my advice about something. That's not what he's talking about. He says, speak the truth in love, and then he defines the truth is Jesus. So we speak Jesus to one another. And this is something that just needs to be an everyday part of our life. And here, here's why. Because you can tell yourself truth all day long, and sometimes it's not as powerful, right? Anyone in here think, I mean, so let me rephrase it. If you're a Christian you would be able to say, God loves me. Okay? But if you're going through a hard time and you don't believe that, there's some false things you're believing. If you tell yourself, God loves me, that's one thing. But if someone else looks at you and says, I need to remind you, God loves you. Doesn't that have more power? I'm not saying they just walk by and say, God loves you, see it, But I mean, in a conversation, like, it's got more power. Here's how... Bonhoeffer, an old pastor, said it. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother is sure. It means when we speak Jesus to each other, it has more power. This is why we need one another. Again, you can tell yourself, grow, you can tell yourself the truth all the time, but we get stuck And it's hard, and we struggle, and we need each other to say, let me speak truth to you in love. How do we participate? We speak the truth in love. Words of affirmation and words of correction. And we do this all the time, which means our conversations can't just be casual. It's okay to have chit-chat. It's okay to talk about the weather and this and that. That's okay, okay? That helps build relationships. But, but, is it normal for you to go deeper than that? God wants us to go deeper than that. Is it normal for you to go, how can I speak truth? How can I help people love and know Jesus more? Is that normal? It should be. That should define us. I'm at church. If you're, if you're, if you're here and this is your home, that needs to define us. And over time, if that's the case, I swear to you, we will be a community that expresses more beautifully who Jesus is. That we correct one another in love, that we affirm one another in love. And we do it just normal, everyday conversation. God is a loving father that wants us to grow because he wants us to more fully experience life. When we take communion, what we remember is this. We remember that God came to this earth in Jesus. And he said, I give you my life. That we're all sinners. We're all alienated from God. We're all distant from God. We all reject God. We all ignore God. We all build our lives on other things instead of God. And God says, I'm coming after you. I love you. I care for you. And so Jesus comes to this earth. And to pay for the sin that we've done, he dies on the cross. And he wipes it clean. And doesn't just wipe it clean. He then gives us adoption into his family and says, you're mine. And when we take of the bread, we remember his body was broken. And when we dip in the wine and juice, we remember his blood was shed. Because he loves us and he's adopted us into his family. And he wants us to more fully experience life with him. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for that good news. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you gave us your life to unite us to you and to one another. God, I thank you that you um, want such joy for us, that you give us a family to belong to where we can help one another more fully experience life with you. God, I pray for each of us that we wouldn't stay where we are, even tonight, that we wouldn't stay where we are tonight, but that you would work in our hearts to know you more, to love you more, to know how loving of a father you are, that you would desire life and joy and growth for us. God, help us to be that kind of community. Help us to build one another up. Help us to mature and grow as a community where we more fully express your presence. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.